Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, let's dive in. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22 is where we are today. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. If you're new with us, welcome. We do have Bibles in the back. If you need one, feel free to stand up, grab one of those. And as you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, let let me review from last Sunday Uh, We wrapped up really the third healing miracle after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The first miracle, as you remember, was that of a leper. And the leper, he was a civil outcast. The Roman soldier, he was next, the second, second healing miracle. He was a political outcast. And the third miracle was Pete's mother-in-law. And she was a social outcast. So Matthew, our gospel writer here, he's providing three dramatic healing miracles back to back to back. And we ask the question, why? And the the obvious answer is that if Jesus didn't heal any of these, these people, well, they would have mostly died, Um, which is very, very true. But we also discovered that there is a much more substantial, really a spiritual answer to that question. And it brought us, it brings us back to key point from last week. And we we learned that the primary purpose of miracles has always been to validate God's message. The primary purpose of miracles has always been to validate God's message. So we look back in biblical history to learn that God's message of salvation always takes priority over the temporary benefits of physical health. Brought us to key point number two from last week, and we we learned this. It's not a big surprise, but God's people get sick and die. God's people get sick and die, right? Prosperity preachers don't believe that. They, they, they're going to tell you that if you're a Christian and if you have enough faith, you're not going to get sick. Or that God's plan for your life is, is health and it's wealth. And in Greek, we, we say that is baloney. ie <laughs> That's baloney. Dear friends, don't believe that. Not for one second. We live in a broken, fallen world. This is not your best life now. If you're a Christian, it's not your best life now. If we're disciples of Jesus, this is by far not your best life now. Well, that sets us up for today in Matthew's gospel. If if it were a symphony, today's passage would be an interlude. Matthew has revealed three times, or really three miracles back to back, and, and now he provides a short break from all the action Because after this break, Jesus provides three more miracles back to back. And it's within this interlude that Matthew gives us a short synopsis of two conversations that Jesus had with two men who want to be disciples. 
Both men said that they would follow Jesus. And we think that's great, but how does Jesus respond? He responds probably not the way that we would. Jesus says, thanks, but no thanks, fellas. So there's a lot to this little story. It has much to teach us about our own faith, um, a lot more about our own faith than we might guess um, looking at it. How so? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. As we have lifted our voices to sing those songs, let's lift our voice to read the word of God together in unity as a church. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, Another of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Dear friends, these are the very words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the inspired word of Almighty God. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, the psalmist writes, Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all of my heart. Lord, we do pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, your words this morning. And not only that, but allow us, give us the strength and the endurance and the willpower and, and your presence to obey it with all of our hearts and, and share it with those around us this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 18. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the, the order to go to the other side of the sea. So crowds begin to form here whenever someone claims to do something miraculous or supernatural. Crowds also form because people want to be entertained. Uh, Jesus, though, he, he's not a big fan of crowds. Why is that? Well, first and foremost, crowds become unpredictable. Crowds are dangerous. In our day and age, though, we, we tend to be impressed by crowds, don't we? So, for example, we, we like to judge a church by the size of the congregation. But since Jesus lives within the kingdom of God and, and not the kingdom of this world, he, he's just not impressed with large crowds. And Jesus repeatedly does something here that most preachers don't. He leaves the crowds behind to preach the gospel. And that's precisely what Jesus is planning on doing here. Verse 18, when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, Jesus is the focus of the crowd's attention, and yet Jesus knows crowds are trouble. Crowds draw in desperate people, right? Desperate people do desperate things. So as people continue to watch Jesus perform all these miracles, 
They are immediately drawn to him. They want to be around him. They want to be near him. They want to be associated with him. And they just don't leave. Back to verse 18. So he, that's Jesus, Jesus gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. So Jesus makes his decision here, as we learned last Sunday, Jesus' primary mission was not to heal people physically. It was to heal them spiritually. Jesus knew it, it didn't do much good to heal someone physically if they didn't believe in the message. And specifically his message, his gospel. And yet most people did not believe. It's fascinating. And then secondly, Jesus wants to ditch the crowd because he's exhausted. And we'll see that next week. Jesus falls asleep on this boat in the middle of a storm. So Jesus gives the order to the 12 disciples, hey guys, get the boats ready. We're going to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So as this is going on, as the, the 12 disciples are making preparations to leave, verse 19, a scribe approached him. A scribe approaches Jesus and he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, first things first, a scribe is a religious leader who ran with the Pharisees. A scribe has his PhD in interpreting and uh, teaching the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, uh, the Law of Moses, right? These men were scholarly. They were of the elite class of Jewish society. So in Jesus' day, to be a scribe, that was a highly respectable, it was an impressive occupation, uh, similar to like a brain surgeon today. People go, oh, wow, nice. Throughout the Gospels, though, the scribes, they're hostile to, towards Jesus. So this whole conversation today, it's a bit odd. Typically, scribes were teachers. They were not followers of teachers. Scribes were incredibly reluctant to follow a teacher, especially Jesus. Why on earth would a scribe follow Jesus? Well, Jesus was not formally educated in a rabbinic school. Right? He didn't go to the Jerusalem Theological Seminary. And not only that, but Jesus rejected the very traditions that the scribes held sacred. Regardless, verse 19, a scribe approached Jesus and he says, Teacher, now note here that the leper and the centurion from a few weeks ago, they addressed Jesus as Lord. They said, Lord. Now the title teacher, it sounds fairly noble, doesn't it? It's respectable. Okay. So the title is accurate, but it's nowhere near adequate. How so? Well, other people call Jesus teacher in Matthew's gospel as well. It just so happened that most of these people um, who call Jesus teacher refuse to believe the gospel. So, for example, we've got other scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, a couple times in Matthew chapter 22. The rich young ruler, you remember him, he called Jesus teacher in Matthew 19, and he walked away as well. So the key question for us this morning is, is Jesus your Lord, teacher, or both? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your master? Is he your ruler? Do you consider him God, God in the flesh? Or is he just a teacher? Do you just lump him in with Buddha and all these other famous religious figures? Or is he both? 
Do you acknowledge him as the one who is the ultimate teacher and also God himself who saved you from your sins? Verse 19, he says, teacher, oh, look at this. I will follow you wherever you go. Wow. This scribe professes absolute allegiance to Jesus. I mean, that is an amazing statement of dedication. So let's pause here for a second. Can you think of some other folks in Scripture that did the same thing? I think of uh, the Last Supper. Jesus said to Peter, Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, he said, Simon, hey, Simon, look out because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Uh-oh, that's not good. Jesus says, but don't worry about it, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you've turned back from this season in your life, that, that, that the God will strengthen, that you will strengthen your brothers. And then Pete says this in verse 33, he says, Lord, you, know, you don't worry about that. I, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And if you know the rest of the story, well, that's all history. Because it didn't work out like Pete thought it was going to work out. I love this. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, uh, he made this declaration. It was a prayer, really. Uh, he was a single young man. He said, Lord, give me celibacy and self-control, but not yet. <laughs> just just uh, give me another year. Don't you love that? See, so there's something very attractive about these words, right? I'm going to follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. We sing these songs. Uh, this particular phrase might sound familiar from the Old Testament. Uh, near the, the time of Judges, Judges, by the way, it's a very dark time in, in uh, Jewish history. There are two women Naomi and Ruth, and, and they have this amazing story in such darkness. Naomi is, is the mother-in-law to Ruth. Both women have lost their husbands, and Naomi tells Ruth to go back home and leave her behind so she can die by herself. Wow. Ruth is appalled by this, and she says in Ruth chapter 1, she says, don't don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Dang. I don't know about you guys. I think we got a new verse for church membership. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> hmm. I mean, that's a level of commitment that we just don't see very often, do we? So is that kind of commitment that Ruth is talking about here? Is that what the scribe is saying to Jesus at this moment? He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if you, if you shared the gospel with someone and they said, 
Wow, this is amazing. I believe I'm in. I want to be baptized. I want to be discipled. I want to join the church. I'm in. How would we respond to that? Most of us would be pretty excited. But look how Jesus responds to this man's fervor proclamation. So Jesus, Jesus looks him in the eye. Now keep in mind, they're outside, they're by the lake. And Jesus says this, it's, it's almost as Jesus looks this man, he examines him, and he sees a little fox out of the corner of his eye running. And he says, you know, see that fox? Foxes have dens. You see those birds over there? They've got nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You think this guy is so excited, right? And, and Jesus just popped that balloon. Like, what just happened? Well, what just happened is Jesus' understanding of discipleship, it is so different than ours. Jesus rejected this man's enthusiasm. Jesus clearly sees through this man's, this grandiose profession of allegiance. How so? Well, the scribe, think, think what just happened. Jesus, or I'm sorry, the, the scribe saw all the crowds. He saw all the miracles. <clears throat> he saw the enthusiasm. So, so the scribe is enthusiastic, and he wants to be a part of this movement, he knew that Jesus had something that nobody else had, and, and he wanted to be a, a part of that something, whatever it was. Um, you know, people are attracted to Jesus, and this is a big deal. People are attracted to Jesus in the hope of personal benefit. And that's why everybody today makes such a big deal about miracles. And yet Jesus pushes back, doesn't he? Because he knows that this scribe has not counted the cost of discipleship. This traveling preacher from Nazareth, right? He's got no home to call his own. And even though we think Jesus responds in an unusual way here, the scribe, he knows precisely what Jesus is, is talking about. Jesus explains what true discipleship is. He doesn't want anyone to underestimate the, the cost. Because a true disciple must count the cost before he builds the tower. So it's like the scribe is seeing Jesus' miracles almost like at a wartime parade. You know, the nation rejoices because it's soldiers. They come back and, and they've got all the, medical, the, all the medals. They're dressed up. They've got all the accolades. And yet the scribe, he doesn't realize the actual cost of war. This story also reminds me of watching the Olympics. Someone may dream of, of winning a gold medal until he learns about the, the personal cost and the sacrifice, right? All the four o'clock uh, training sessions, all the strict diets, the limited social life, all of that and more for years and years and years. All that just to train to, to, to get to a level, just being considered to be a world-class athlete. This text also reminds me of, of when someone famous comes to uh, make a profession that Jesus is Lord. You know, we, we hear about it on the news, and we're like, wow, did you hear so-and-so? He, he just became a Christian. And the world goes, wow, I didn't see that coming. How did that happen? 
But see, Jesus, he's not impressed. And by the way, neither should we. Here's why. Jesus knows that a strong profession does not automatically equal a strong commitment. So Jesus' response here is brilliant. He responds in a proverb. He doesn't question the man's sincerity, so he, he doesn't insult him. But instead, he, he mentions the demands that true discipleship requires. Jesus says this, Foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests. But look at this, the son of man has no place to lay his head. So in other words, Jesus, he, he, he could be saying this. You know, friends, I can't help but notice the way that you dress. Are you prepared to be homeless? Are you prepared to walk around with me for the next three years, not knowing where you're going to lay your head or what you're going to eat? And as Jesus tells the scribe that, he's, that, that uh, Jesus himself has fewer physical comforts than many animals, he drops this bombshell that the scribe would instantly recognize here. Notice this. Jesus doesn't say, I've got no place to lay my head. He says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So it's not an accident that Jesus uses that phrase about himself. The Son of Man, that is Jesus' favorite title for himself. We see it used over 80 times in the Gospels. So what does this mean, the Son of Man? What's it mean? Well, it comes from the Old Testament prophet Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel, chapter 7, is where he describes Jesus' return back to heaven following his earthly ministry. So this is what happened after Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1. Let's take a look at it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. He says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone, someone like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient one. Your translation may say ancient of days. Uh, if you want to make a note there, the ancient one, the ancient of days, that is God the Father. So he approached God the Father and was led into his presence. Verse 14, so he, the Son of Man, Jesus, he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and every nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So Jesus is that son of man. And as we can see, this title is not only a title of humility, but what Daniel does, he peels back the layers of Jesus's pre-existence. So Jesus stepped down off his throne in heaven to become a man, pay the sin debt for all of us, for, for everyone who believes. And then in Daniel's vision here, Jesus had done that. He completed that. He now returns to heaven where he came from. But he returns very different. He, he's got a, a glorified body. And because Jesus accomplished his mission perfectly, God the Father, he gave him, he gives him everlasting authority over all the world. So that title, the Son of Man, it focuses more on Christ's divinity than it does on his humanity. In fact, if we fast forward to the trial of Jesus, we see that here. 
Jesus unveils his identity to the high priest when he's on trial. Look at this, Matthew 26, 63. The high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you've said it. In other words, yes, you said it. And in the future, look at this. In the future, you're going to see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Amazing. Jesus points back, he points the high priest back to Daniel chapter 7. So as an expert in, in Old Testament law now, the scribe, he recognized that Jesus was unveiling that phrase, the Son of Man. So it seems that Jesus is testing this man. He's testing the scribe's humility. Because what the scribe proclaims about following him, I'll follow you wherever you go, it could be interpreted this way. The scribe could say, well, teacher, as one Bible expert to another, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice who's on your team so far. You know, you got, to, you got those fishermen over there. I saw that leper. That was, that was amazing. You got the soldier. I still don't understand that. And then you have this middle-aged woman that you just healed. So I've been thinking, you know, I've been thinking that maybe, I don't know, just, just maybe that you could use someone with a, a bit of religious respectability. Say, I don't know, me. This is your lucky day, Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. I'm with you 110%. So let's do it, you and me. What do you think? We can bring about all this kingdom stuff that you've been talking about. And then using our sanctified imaginations, right? Jesus might have replied this way. Oh, friend, you don't know what you're talking about. And you don't know who you're talking to. Listen, I'm the son of man. I'm, I'm not a scribe like you acting like God. Unlike you, I'm not this lowly, overly educated, confused, audacious scribe. I'm not just a better Bible teacher that teaches the Word. I am the Word. I am the king uh, that, that Daniel wrote about, you knucklehead. You clearly don't know who I am, and you certainly don't know where I'm going. Are you ready to go to Calvary? I'm going to die for your pompous sin. Are you willing to follow me there? Are you ready to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and follow me? Because homelessness, man, that, that is the least of your worries if you say yes. So in other words, Jesus had no faith in this man's faith. And he's a scribe, and it just is amazing to think about that. And I think it's also fascinating that Jesus wants disciples, and yet at the same time, he teaches that he's not going to accept just anybody. This conversation today, guys, it should really challenge this easy gospel mentality that our culture has. All you have to do is just pray the sinner's prayer. All you have to do is just sign the card. 
All you have to do is just walk the aisle. Come as you are, right? This text should challenge that, that, those means and those modes because all of those things are not in Scripture when it comes to salvation. So evidently, the scribe walks away disappointed. He's probably shocked because Jesus said, thanks, but no thanks. All right, strike one. But don't worry, we got someone else trying out for the team. All right, verse 21. Lord, another of his disciples said, first let me go and bury my father. So as a side note here, that term disciple, that can be used for the twelve. But it's also more of a general term for any follower at this point. And that's the meaning here in verse 21. It's, it's, this is not one of the 12. This man probably followed Jesus around the countryside for a bit. Uh, and just like everybody else, he is just fascinated by what's going on. So verse 22, Jesus replies, he says, Well, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So uh, go back to 21. This man says, Lord, first let, I'm going to go with you, but first let me bury my, my father. And Jesus says, no, no, you follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wow. What happened to sweet Jesus? What happened to our meek, mild, and humble Jesus? What happened to our, all you need is love, Jesus? What about that blue-eyed, blonde-haired, hanging on your nursery wall, loving Jesus? He wouldn't hurt a fly. Where is he? So let's get this straight. This man, his father dies. And this is Jesus' response? Is that what's going on? No. No, no, no. In, the, in a first century Jewish funeral, the, the burial happens within 24 hours. Um, so, and the reason for that is because the Jews did not embalm uh, the body. So if this man's father really did die, he, he wouldn't be standing there. He would be at the funeral. So question number two, did this man lie to Jesus then? That's not a very good thing to do. Well, no, he didn't lie. The phrase here is, is you get the, the bury the dead. What's that mean? Well, it's a common figure of speech that refers back to a son's responsibility to help the father in the family business. Now, it doesn't make any sense to us, right? But figures of speech rarely do. I mean, we use figures of speech all the time, and, and we don't need to explain them. So it's, hey, have you looked outside? It's raining cats and dogs. Ew, that's kind of gross, <laughs> right? Hey, go break a leg. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> we don't have to explain those things. And that's why there's no explanation here in the first century, because they knew what it meant. So reading between the lines here, if this man were somewhat young, he asked Jesus, this is what, what's going on. He's asking Jesus for permission to put his spiritual life on hold for the next 20 or 30 years. And not only that, but after his father did actually pass, this young man would then receive an inheritance. So what seems like a harsh response from Jesus is actually an opportunity of a lifetime. Jesus invites this man in 
as a disciple. And yet Jesus, at the same time, he sees the idol in this man's life, just as Jesus saw the, the idol in the rich young ruler. So when, so when this would-be disciple says this phrase, he says, I must bury my father. What he was really saying is, I want to wait until I receive my inheritance. Following Jesus would have cost him that inheritance. So look at this man's statement again. He says, first, hey, Jesus, first, let me go bury my father. <laughs> it's almost like Jesus is saying, ah, okay, I get it. I see that you didn't take very good notes from my Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe you were thinking about lunch. Do you remember the part where I said you can't have two masters? You remember that? And how it's impossible to serve both God and money? Do you remember how I said that you, you got to seek first the kingdom of God? And that's not what this man is doing. He says, first, let me, pay, let me, let me serve, serve my father. Let me receive my inheritance. So Jesus responds with another figure of speech here in, in verse 22. He says, no, you follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. So in other words, you just let the world take care of the things of the world. The, the spiritually dead, those guys can take care of one another. It's fascinating here. Luke adds another interesting uh, detail in his gospel. Luke writes this. Uh, Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you... You go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. So if this man were to become a disciple, his primary responsibility would be proclaiming the gospel. So this means bringing the good news of eternal life to the spiritually dead. So when Jesus says, follow me, he means right now. So picture the scene. Jesus is having this conversation with this man. And Jesus is just saying, look, the rest of my disciples, you see them right there. They're getting the boats ready. We're leaving right now. It's go time. What are you going to do? If we fast forward to next week, verse 23, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. So that is the twelve. So like the scribe, nothing else is mentioned about this would-be disciple. He walked away just like the scribe. He walked away just like the rich young ruler. So we have the tale of the two would-be disciples today. The scribe, he just was too fast. The other guy was too slow. As Jesus looked both of these men in their eyes, he quickly determined that the scribe was... He was writing a check that he could not cash while the other man was too slow. He is not going to get in the boat. So Jesus, pretty amazing, he disqualified both disciples. Key point number one for us today, this is the only key point, that we come to Jesus on his terms, not our own. We come to Jesus on his terms, not our own. 
So just as Jesus, who has authority over sickness, we've seen that. He's got authority over the demons. And next week, we're going to see he's got authority over nature. Jesus has final authority over all of that, including his disciples. So Jesus determines what following him, uh, what that looks like. We don't, we don't set those rules. This story reminds me of uh, a high school that brought in some um, military recruiters. Um, it's before senior graduation, and uh, they wanted to recruit some of these, these high school seniors. So they brought the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the, the Marines in. And they were maybe 200 students in the auditorium. And each recruiter was supposed to speak for 15 minutes. So this is about an hour deal, right? Well, the first guy gets up, the first recruiter, he's so excited, he loses track of the time, and he just, he goes overtime. That pushes recruiter number two back. And he, recruiter number two, has to outdo what recruiter number one just did. So he goes over. The third guy follows in the same by the, by the, time the fourth recruiter stands up he looks at the clock and the clock he's only got two minutes and it's clicking down and he wants to be respectful of the two minutes so he gets up stands behind the podium and he says you know guys I've been watching you for the past hour and then he steps off the stage and I've noticed some things about you guys. Some of you guys have been sleeping. Some of you guys have been thinking about lunch. Some of you guys are daydreaming and doodling. And then he puts his arms behind him like this, and he just kind of walks up and down the aisles. And he starts staring at people, looking them up and down like this. And he spends the next 60 seconds doing that. He's just eyeing everybody. Hmm. And in perfect timing, he walks back up to the stage. And he says, yeah, I can't help but notice that out of 200 people or so, there's only about a half a dozen of you who could actually qualify to be a Marine. And if you think that you're one of those six people in here, I'll be out back by the table. You can come and see me. And wouldn't you know, his line had four times the amount of boys, thinking that they were one of those six men. Guys, we don't become Christians because we say we're Christians. Right? Scripture says that it's the Father who draws us first. Apart from the Father drawing us, we have no interest in God. We don't care about God. So by God's grace, He draws us first. And then there's this miraculous spiritual transaction that takes place. He draws us in. He woos us. And somehow, some way, we say, yeah. We want to be a disciple. Now, we've all made big promises like the scribe. And we've all made excuses like the other would-be disciple as well. Regardless, here's one thing I'd like you to think about this week. 
no matter where you are with your walk with Jesus today. Because we've all made promises we can't keep, and because we're doing things that we shouldn't do, this text should have us look in the rearview mirror and just see where we are and repent of our sin. Because we don't want anything between us and God. We're not perfect. We'll never be perfect. But we can repent on a daily basis, and he will use that to draw us closer to him. Next time, we're going to see the cost of discipleship. These disciples who have given everything to follow Jesus, they're in a boat. They get into a storm, and they are fearful for their lives. They think they're going to drown. But what's really interesting about being a disciple is not the fact that they were getting ready to die. It's that when Jesus solves the problem, they are more terrified when they realize who's standing in the boat with them. It's a fascinating story. The Gospels are a fascinating story of walking with Jesus and Him teaching us where we are. So Lord, I, uh, guys, I pray that the Lord would lead you into uh, a really fun and awesome conversation this week as He continues to teach you what it looks to be uh, like a, a real disciple versus a would-be disciple. Father in heaven, Thank you for teaching us this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that only comes through Christ our Lord. Lord, show us where we are this week. Show us where we are. Maybe we're not disciples this morning. Maybe we got drug here to church this morning and, and we just feel like, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just making somebody happy. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe some of us are just tired. We're physically tired. We got stress upon stress. We were, got some physical problems. We got financial problems. We've got we're fighting depression. We're looking at pornography. Whatever it is, the Lord God, that you would meet us right where we are. That you would invite us and that we would be willing to walk with you through these things. And yes, Lord, that we would pray and that we would repent of our, of our sin. And not only that, Lord, because we're not perfect, but yet at the same time, you've given us the opportunity to share this message with our friends and our family here in the Verde Valley. I pray that we do that as well. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.